What's happening, podcast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter, on another fantastic episode of, you guessed it, The Matt Baxter Show. I'm hanging out with Katara McCarty. Katara is uh, the, uh, how do I put this? I mean, number one, she's brilliant. Number two, she's super well-spoken. Number number three, she's a woman of faith that I just loved having a conversation with. She is the founder and creator of Exhale, the first emotional well-being app for and, bl- and by black women. And she's just taking the world head on. I can relate to her because she's a non-technical founder and I feel the same exact way, but yet she's crushing it. She's changing lives. She's talking about how to you know, heal things and how to talk through things like depression and anxiety among black women. And it's just phenomenal the impact that she is having. I'm just proud to say that we had her as a guest. I'm proud to say that I had the chance to chat with her and have just a wonderful conversation. And I hope that everybody listening to this uh, gets as much joy, energy, excitement, fire, an inspiration as I did. So Katara, thank you so much for the woman that you are. Thank you for the impact that you're having. Just keep crushing it. Katara, thanks for being a guest on this podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be with you this afternoon. So us, uh, us Midwesterners, we should be, uh, we should be together with a beer in front of us or something like that, know, but right? proud to say I'm enjoying the Florida sunshine. Sounds like you're doing that in a week or so. So that's not yeah. a bad way to go. <laughs> Definitely. I'm, I, you know, that's what we do in March here in Indiana and Michigan and Ohio. We head <laughs> south. That's yeah, what yeah. we do. Get some sun on our face. It's crazy and you can really figure it out in a hurry, but it's crazy how, you know, during like a three month period of time, you can get a direct flight to wherever you need to go to in Florida. Anywhere. Anywhere. <laughs> it's always that's cheap so too. True. That's right. Exactly, that's exactly right. right. So, uh, so give me the background. Give me the life story. Oh my gosh, life story. Well, we got to throw it back to 1972, Matt. That was when I was born. Love that. I don't that. know. Some of your listeners may think, oh, that was so long ago. It wasn't that long ago. I would have pegged you at 26. I would have pegged you at 26. Oh, so. oh, wow. <laughs> Got a little bit, a few more years on that. So I was born in 1972. Um, my mother, biological mother, went to the hospital, had me. And when it was time to leave the hospital, she left me there. She abandoned me. So my uh, biological mother was, uh, it was white and my biological father was black. And in 1972, it was still very taboo to date, marry outside your race. I think here in Indiana in 1968, it was still illegal to marry someone outside of your race. And so she had gotten pregnant by a black man and just felt like she could not um, bring me into her family. And so I went into foster care. And um, fortunately, um, my file came across a lady's desk who had a niece who was looking to adopt another baby. She had already adopted one little girl and she was looking to adopt another. So she reached out and her niece said, yes, I would, I would love to adopt this baby. So I was dropped off um, at Betty Waters' home. Um, phenomenal. So were you, how, how old were you when, when this? Yeah. How, how old were you when you were, uh, when you were originally adopted? Yeah, I was just a few months old. So I was like two, three months old when I got delivered to um, my adopted mom, my mom. I don't even say adopted mom. She's my mama. That's my mom. To her home. <laughs> and she had to wait a year before she could officially adopt me. So there's like a window where the biological fa- family can come 
and kind of surface and say, Hey, we, you know, we want the baby. So she had to wait a year. Um, but nobody ever came and, um, she adopted me. Um, she is this amazing woman who never married. So she and her mother pulled their resources together to, to purchase a home. Um, and so, um, that was common with the black community um, is to kind of pull your resource together and, and help each other kind of move forward together. And so her and her mom lived together and, and bought a home and she wanted, she didn't want to get married, but she wanted to adopt and um, couldn't have children of her own. And so she adopted uh, one little girl a year before and then adopted me. And so I grew up in this amazing, wonderful family Um we were a little bit different because I didn't have a father growing up, but lots of love, lots of Matt, lots of good food. Matt, the food is the house. <laughs> oh, so good. Give me, uh, give me, give me, give me, give me the specialty dish. What, what, oh, what was well, the specialty my dish? Grandma, <laughs> my grandmother was a baker. So peach cobbler, oh, strawberry rhubarb <laughs> pies, pumpkin pie. I mean, just cookies, like we always had like sweets and homemade food. It was just, yeah, it was divine, lovely, wonderful. Yeah. I'm already 20 pounds heavier than I need to be. And thinking about that, I'm going to be another 20 pounds heavier. So yeah, yeah. it was such a fun childhood. It was such a fun childhood. And you know, we, my mom worked sometimes three jobs to provide for our family. My grandmother was like the stay at home mom, you know, like she took care of us. We never had to go to babysitters, daycare, anything like that. Um, we ripped and ran the streets of Kokomo, Indiana and, um, had a great childhood. I did know pretty early on that I was different like that. That w I was pretty aware of that early on just because I am biologically biracial. I didn't look like other little girls in my neighborhood. My, uh, um, my dad lived in Kokomo, Indiana growing up too. Um, what? and, uh, <laughs> have you, uh, have you ever seen the show survivor? Yes. So Rupert, one of the famous, uh, one of the famous ones, he lived in Kokomo, Indiana and my dad lived right at an apartment complex, right across the, right across the hall from Rupert. So they were like second grade real quick, real, real quick tangent. So Rupert's mom was, I guess, like a scientist. She had like chickens and whatever in the, in this apartment. And she, my dad one day wandered over and I guess he saw these little eggs and threw up and she told him he would never go into the medical field. Well, he ended up becoming a surgeon. So he always one day wants to go back to Rupert's mom and say, you know, what? I stuck it to you. <laughs> Actually, did that thing you said I wasn't going to do. What the heck? What a small world. So that's my that's my Coco. I I have been through. I, I saw the old apartment thing, but uh, I I I don't have my. But we've got ties to Kokomo, so get out of here. I you know oh, yeah. we just thought we were connected in the Midwest, like Michigan, Indiana. Now who like what? Yeah, yep, yep. I don't know. Yeah. My, uh, my, my grandpa was a surgeon in Vietnam and it was like the, a couple of years he was gone. I don't know why they transitioned, but my grandma and their, you know, their four kids lived there for a bit. So anyways, that's, that's my ties to Kokomo. That's crazy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's where I was born. That's where I was raised. And, amazing. um, you know, you know, I, I had a great childhood, but because of, um, the, the, 
fact that I was bi- biologically biracial, right? Like I didn't, I, I don't identify as a biracial woman. I identify as a black woman because I was raised by two black women in a predominantly black neighborhood. And, um, but I knew pretty early on that I was different. So I, I remember as a kid trying to navigate that, being in school, being treated differently because of the color of my skin. Um, I remember in second grade, this little, um, girl that we became friends the first day she loved my eraser and we became such good friends first day I was like I went home I was so excited to tell my mom I like made a friend went back the next day and the little girl she was white the little girl said to me I can't play with you and I can't be your friend because my mom said you're black and I remember being in at such a young age realizing that the color of my skin mattered. It, it, it was, it made, it mattered. And navigating that, um, you know, because my skin's lighter as well, like navigating, um, being able to walk through, um, having doors op- opened for me that weren't opened for my black sister. She's all black, right? Full black. Like she's not mixed. <laughs> she, um, doors that weren't open for her and and navigating that. And so, um, you know, that, that was kind of my, my journey as a young person into my teenage years, into my young adult years, trying to find a sense of belonging, right? Like, where do I belong and where do I fit in? And while I got tons of love at home and from the black community I grew up in, that was an internal battle um, and journey that I had to take um, in my adult life is kind of like who is Katara and and really belonging to herself and, and journeying back home um, to who I, to who I am and and the fullest expression of, of, of who I am. So, and, you know, being adopted and abandoned, like you deal with abandonment issues or just stuff that you got to unpack, you know? No, there, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of all the different things you would have gone through. Just, I mean, number one, the adoption and obviously, you know, having that moment of having somebody literally say, you know, it's not because I don't like you. It's literally just because what you're born with, I can't spend time with you. And you think about how broken that is. Mm-hmm. My, my question to you is going to be, um, when was the first time, I guess, you, you mentioned you always knew you were different. Did you have a first time moment of realizing, you know, yeah, I mean, yes, there's a skin color difference, but when was the first time it, it, it maybe set in for you or it, it was not yeah. innocent childness, but now it's all of a sudden there's, there's something different here and I'm treated. When would you say that really hit? I mean, really as... I, I remember being probably five, six years old, um, riding my bike down an alley with my sister and two um, teenage girls, they were black, stopped us and just, it was like I was an animal in the zoo. Like they had never seen anybody mm. that looked like me before. And they were like, oh, your hair and oh, you're so pretty. and touching my hair like I didn't know them they were just like it was like I was this anomaly in town right and I remember standing there with my sister who is beautiful gorgeous gorgeous woman back then just the cutest thing and I she was older a year older than me so I completely adored her admired her and I remember thinking of course pay attention to her too like, look at her, too. Look at how pretty she is, too. And I remember in that moment shrinking, right? Like, internally, even physically, I remember slumping my shoulders. And 
it was then that I learned to play small. It was then that I learned to not to like kind of hide and shrink and try not to be a big deal and try not to be seen. It was then that I learned like, hey, you're different and that isn't going to work for you, right? Like because I felt like it hurt my sister. Mm-hmm. And and so that was a moment another moment that comes up for me is my grandmother, she would um hot comb my mom and sister's hair, so there's this like metal like heavy comb that she would put on the stove. You see my yeah. you see my wild out there hair. I could use yeah. a little of that. So yeah, yeah. and she would hot I just throw the hat on I was like man yeah, it's not a good look. Yeah. Like let me grab my hat. But she would hot comb their hair and I remember standing by the stove like, uh, oh, is it my turn? You know, I want to get my hair hot comb. And she's like, sissy, you're you you have that good hair. You don't need your hair hot combed. And I remember so badly wanting to be like I was in the kitchen. I was a part of the moment, but I wanted to sit in the chair, too. And I couldn't. Right. Because, you know, my hair wasn't as thick or needed that kind of care. And so there were different situations just being really, really young where it was very apparent to me that I was different and that that did not make me feel good. I knew that 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 felt odd and weird and different for me as a kid meant bad. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so let me, let me flip the question and say, when was the first time you became proud of that and hmm. that you have a different background and you've got a different story and you've got a different journey. And I know we're going to talk about your business, what I want to get into, but yeah. do you have, do you have a moment that you're like, I like who I am. Hmm. I would say as a, you know, it's been a journey. You know, I think that I started stumbling into that in my 20s. But I would have to say there's something about like being in your 30s and 40s as a woman that you just settle into your body, you settle into your spirit and your soul. And you're like, I don't give up what anybody thinks about me, right? And I remember- Hey, free range, if you need to swear, let her rip. So. Okay, I, was, I was like, oh, that's the question I didn't ask you before we started. I'm like, oh, Yeah, 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 beforehand. So anything we can't talk bomb. about, no, you can swear. Okay. <laughs> free range, um, free range. I grew up and my grandmother had a potty mouth. So I, man, I can, I can drop some, some potty words. So- um, but I just, I, I think probably I would have to say in my twenties, um, my grandmother passed away and I remember kind of going through all of her stuff. You know, she lived with us. It was like, I had two moms growing up and just kind of reminiscing about her life and feeling really proud that I got an opportunity to know her, like because of my life circumstances, her life and my life intersected and just feeling really proud of being raised by her and having an opportunity to know her and realizing the risk that my mom took. Like she's this black woman. She was gay. Like what? Back in 1972, adopting two girls, like, kind of a big deal, right? Like, and I remember just feeling like, man, you, I was raised by some badass women, like, and feeling just really proud of that. And, and I got pregnant when I was 19, had my first daughter when I was 20. And I remember thinking like, that's the kind of mom I want to be. Like, I want to be somebody that's just like, 
you know, goes for her dreams in spite of maybe what culture or society says you can or can't have. That's what my mom did. That's what my grandmother did. Like they, they worked hard to create the life that, that we had. And while my mom had to work really hard to provide that kind of life, it was inspiring and inspired me. And I just remember after my, my first daughter was born, I was like, that's the kind of woman I'm going to be. And really making a pivot and a choice and saying, while I got pregnant young, I'm not going to, my life isn't over. Like I'm going to create this amazing, beautiful life for my daughter and I. And it was completely inspired by my mom and grandmother. That's amazing. Um, so you have, you have your, you have your first daughter, you said first daughter. Yep. So you have your first daughter, but that's when, that's when you're saying, okay, my life's not over. So, so where, where does your life go from there? What, what, what happens from there? Yeah. So I was, um, the, her biological father, kind of kind of faded out of our lives. I was it was an abusive, toxic relationship and I was brave enough to leave that relationship and um, had to move back home actually with my mom and grandmother for a season and um, really allowing them to I had to like kind of let my ego go and my pride go and let my mom and grandmother really nurture me back to myself because I had been so depleted from being in this, this abusive relationship, um, that I needed family. Like I needed to, I needed help. And, um, it was really at that point that I was like, okay, like I can be better. I can do better. I can pursue something better for us. And that was a huge pivot for me. And I decided to become an entrepreneur. I, went to beauty school and got, um, became a nail technician and started my own business. And several years later, I opened up my own nail shop and was rocking nails and did that for several years. And then is this, all in, the, uh, is this all in the Indianapolis area? It's this, that all happened in Kokomo. And then I transitioned to Marion. So it's near Indianapolis. So oh, awesome. it's still in Indiana. Um, met my husband, got married. Um, he adopted my oldest daughter, and then we had another um, child together, another little girl. And um, and then he was really passionate about being a part of the nonprofit world, and so he wanted to start a nonprofit organization. And so him and I talked about it, and um, we partnered together and started a church um, in our home with four people and. Um, it was very non-traditional. I mean, it was the most eclectic group of folks. It was amazing. We did that work for 18 years, almost 20 years. Um, and we grew that in Marion. We grew that to this amazing um, nonprofit. We had different arms of it. We did um, after-school programs for at-risk children. We had... Um, started a church and school in Zambia, Africa together. So that was a really beautiful work. And I think the core of that work was all about reaching folks that are on the furthest of margins. And I think that I had that in me because I was abandoned, right? Like I was left um, at the hospital um, with no name, with nobody throwing celebrations for my birth, right? Like, so I wanted to 
there was something in me that wanted to include people because I didn't always feel like I had a place of belonging and I felt that sense of abandonment. And so my husband and I really spent a lot of our years being really intentional about the culture of our um, the work that we were doing and to be very inclusive. And when I say inclusive, like we were inclusive of all people and um, very, very proud of that work. And um, it, it brought a lot of fulfillment and joy to us. I, uh, I turned off my video real quick just because I think there's a, a hot second of delay. But um, so first thing I, I, I want to say is that uh, uh amazing for you for starting the church. I, faith is a part of my life too. So that's something we can relate on. And that's a very cool thing. And um, I, I, uh, I'm sure we could do a whole nother podcast around the nonprofit world, the uh, expanding, you know, you said Zambia, Africa, is that where, that's where you guys belong? Yeah. Yeah. We, we have a lot of conversations about that, which I hope to, but um, in all of that, so this is, I don't know how to exactly ask this question, but yeah. When did, so I, you have a different set of joy and just positivity about you. So I feel safe to ask this. When did it go from like, I had a tough upbringing to now I want to make a better world for other people. Cause I feel like there's so many people out there in the world who, uh, had something tough happen to them or born with something tough or tough circumstance. And they're kind of like, I'll be the first to swear, fuck the world sort of thing. And they hate everybody. But the people who take life to the next level are the ones who go from, all right, that happened to me and I'm going to make a better world for other people. And I just feel that about you. And so when, when did that shift happen? When did you, and maybe, maybe you were never negative thinking, but when did it go from, all right, I, I, the world was hard to me to begin with, but I'm going to make a better world for everybody else. What, what, when did that transition come about? Yeah. I mean, I think my whole rearing as a child, like my mom and my grandmother always told me the story of what happened, right? Like I always knew I was adopted, but they they made sure that I knew that I was valuable and special and that my grandmother really instilled in me that life happens and you, and it, you know, it's almost like life um, deals you a hand of cards right? And sometimes you get a great hand and sometimes you get a really sucky hand. And my grandmother always taught me, you play the card you've been dealt. Whether you feel like that's fair, whether you feel like that's right or wrong, you got to play the card you've been dealt, sissy. So she'd tell me. And so <laughs> I had that in me as a young girl. And then even like feeling like, oh, I don't belong here. And all of the bullshit that I dealt with, that was in my core, play the card you've been dealt, play the card you've been dealt. And when she passed on, I felt like that was the baton that she passed on to me, like live your life to the fullest. And while I had to get therapy and have a life coach, and you know, counseling and do all the things to, to like manage and, and navigate the stuff that is the aftermath from other people's decisions, from hurt and pain, from, from, you know, the abusive relationship, like all that's still there, but I had to play the hand I've been dealt. So that means I got to deal with those feelings. I have to deal with those emotions and I have to um, really un uncover the stuff that's in there. That's bringing about hurt and pain. 
And that was instilled in me. So I don't ever really remember it being like a pivot or a shift for me. I just remember, especially after my first daughter was born, they put her beautiful little self in my arms and it was just like a light bulb went off. I mean, that's what fueled me to leave the abusive relationship was her. That's what fueled me to like really take life by the horns was her. And that instilled that, that like, Hey, play those cards, guitar, play those cards. And so knowing that I had someone looking up to me that I was responsible for was a real little human actually scared the shit out of me, but also propelled me to do something with my life that if I can't waste my life. I have to do something. And I think that feeling that sense of like not belonging really propelled me into this, like the way my grandmother and my mother opened their home and opened their arms to me. I wanted to do the same for those that felt like they were left out, like they didn't belong. And so it all kind of was like this perfect uh, recipe um, that kind of produced the person that I am, that I want to make sure that those that are on the furthest of margins know that they belong, that they have equality and equity. And I want to um, fight for them. I want to advocate for them. And so I think it comes from all of those things. Yeah, I love that. So that I got to imagine that's... uh... Uh, sensing a little bit of knowledge about your business. That's where the fuel for uh, what your company is today is about. Yeah. I mean, we transitioned out of the nonprofit world five years ago. Um, and my husband was doing his thing. He had started a, a business with his friend, his buddy, and they had wrote a book. And my daughter's, my oldest daughter moved to California. My youngest was going off to college. And I really had to like look at myself in the mirror and be like, what the hell is next for you, Katara? You're like 44 years old and 43 years old, 44 years old. Like what's next for you? And I have to be honest with you, Matt, like I kind of hit a wall. I hit a wall mentally, emotionally, spiritually, um, was questioning everything. Like what's next for me? Feeling doubtful about the future because I had felt like my time raising my kids and pastoring the church was so fulfilling. I felt like what else could be that fulfilling? Like, oh, it's over. My happiness and joy is like over. Like I really hit a dark, dark place. And I spent a lot of time crying (laughs) and grieving the life that I had, that we had created. Um, Because I, you know, isn't that a, I mean, I, so you're somebody, you're somebody of faith. And so I, I feel like I can go there with these, with this, but isn't that a kind of crazy way the devil works on you is saying, you know what, that was a cool moment. You lived a good, you lived a good moment, but uh, yep, it's done now. There's nothing more for you. And it's like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm always convinced God's like, yeah, that was good. I got something better for you next. And uh, well, that's exactly anyway, right. So. Yeah. I mean, we have to, I mean, we all have those inner, that inner critic, you know, in Christianity, they call it the devil, demons, you know, I now call it our inner critic, our saboteur, like that thing, that part of us that tries to convince us that our best days are behind us or that there's nothing good is in front of us. And I had to have a reckoning with my own self. And I remember I was, um, I had a coach at the time and I had a therapist, but I remember my coach said, 
Katara, you have got to give yourself permission to grieve. Grieve being a mom to girls that need you at that level. Grieve the church. Grieve um, pastoring. Grieve your house that you loved, right? Like grieve your community. We had been there for 20 some years. Like I could walk into the coffee shop. Everybody knew me in the coffee shop. Like we pastored in this smaller town. Like we knew everybody. Like I'm in, and we moved to Indianapolis, this big city. You know, I'm in my 40s. I don't want to make new friends. I have friends. Like I don't want to do this. Like I was pouting. And my, I remember my coach said, you really, you need to give yourself permission to grieve that season of your life and stop, stop worrying about the next thing and just, just sink into that grief and be sad. It's okay. You're going to be fine. You're not going to stay there forever. And I remember taking her advice and spending time just really giving myself permission to go through those levels of grief. And I don't think that I would be where I am today had I not given myself permission and allowed myself and given myself space to really grieve instead of just, Hey, you got to pick up and hurry up and find the next thing. Um, and you know, I was fortunate enough that I could, I could spend time doing that. So tell me about the launch of the business. Ah, the business. So exciting. So I became a certified coach, a personal development life coach, um, during that time that after we left the church and, um, and when I say we left the church, like it was a good leap. Like we left it. It was nothing bad. Happened. Oh, yeah. We weren't, you know, like it was like we just felt like it was time. So um, I think that that's rare <laughs> sometimes in pastoring that pastors are able to transition in a beautiful way. And it was such a lovely exit and we're still connected and all that. Um, but anyway, so I became a coach and I was coaching clients, doing some organizational coaching with um, businesses and organizations around their business, their culture, was getting some opportunity to, opportunity to do some public speaking, was speaking on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and I had worked for a couple years after we left the church for as the director of culture for a company here based out of Carmel, Indiana, and did that for a couple years, but I, that wasn't as fulfilling as I thought it was going to be. And so transitioned out of that and started my own coaching practice, started getting clients was doing my thing. And in 2019, I just was like, I felt that I had drifted away from serving my community. And, um, I wanted to get back to that. Like, how do I get back to that? And so 2019, I started really evaluating, like, where do I want to take my business? Um, I want to still, you know, show up for those that are on the furthest of margins. And I, I, I wasn't doing that. And so um, started kind of like pumping the brakes, like, what's going on here? How can you get back to that? And then, you know, was doing that in 2019, 2020 hit. And March came literally a year ago like next week, a year ago, um, my business came to a screeching halt. All public, well, I guess it would be in two weeks, all public speaking um, gigs that I had booked canceled. Um, several of my businesses that I was coaching had to pull out of the contract that we had signed because they were losing business. And so I was just like, what the heck? I thought I had some momentum here. Like, what's going on? And so I was managing my own stress. And then from that, and, you know, we were all sensing this, like, 
uncertainty that was happening, right? Like with COVID and, and then um, the news started reporting that the black community was being disproportionately impacted by COVID, which was concerning to me as a black woman, you know, my community is suffering um, disproportionately. And then the videos of Ahmaud Aubrey um, being killed, George Floyd, heard about Breonna Taylor started hitting the news feed, my, our news feeds and the news cycle. And um, it felt like I could, I could feel the collective grief of my community, of the black community. I felt hopeless for us. It, it was like COVID, um, you know, just kind of highlighted the disparities that I know exist. And it was like one thing after another, it was like the black community could not catch its breath. And I remember asking myself like, Tara, how can you show up for your community? How can you show up for your community? I was reaching for apps to manage my own well-being, And they were in that time in the spring, completely out of touch, completely out of step with where I was as a black woman in that season. And I got the idea. I thought, what if I created the very thing that I'm looking for, an emotional well-being app for Black, Indigenous, women of color to help us manage our stress, our anxiety, the trauma that we hold in our bodies because of systemic racism. And so I thought, you know, George Floyd, some of his last words were, I can't breathe. And I thought to myself that morning, I thought, what if we could just exhale? What if we, as the Black community, could just breathe? And I ran upstairs and told my husband, I said, I think I have it. I think I have my thing. I'd been searching for five years since we left the church. Like, what's my thing? What's my thing? We found it. We found it. We found it. (laughs) I like ran upstairs frantically. He's like, oh my God, are you okay? I'm like, I found my thing. I think I found my thing. I found my thing. I, there is a need and I want to meet that need. And he was like, it's a fantastic idea. How can I help you? And we got to work. We got to work. He was thinking, man, I knew I made the coffee a little too strong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it so, really so you come up, you come up. Place. That's amazing. So you come up with this idea and, and the, the idea is to help the, the black community. And if, if I'm not mistaken, it's specifically focus on uh, black women, correct? Yes, correct. Correct. Yeah. And so for, you know, I, I just was reading a bit description of it, you know, before this as well, too. But, you know, one, one of the ones that stuck out to me is that, number one, you know, women carry or, or basically that one of the statistics you said was women are two times more likely dealing with stress than men. And then the other one is black women are half as likely to admit it as as as, you know, white women. So mm-hmm. I, so you, I, I'm a white man asking this question. If I ask anything that's inappropriate, give me pushback. But why do you think that is so like? On, on, I guess the women or men one first, is that, I guess I'd, I'd love your perspective on that. And then I also would love your perspective on the, the black women half as likely to admit that from white women. I, I just, those would be fascinating to hear your perspective on those. Yeah. I mean, I just think that, you know, we're, as women, we're culturally conditioned to like, just keep it moving, right? Like, um, head down, like, you know, there's no time, there's no time or space for us to, you know, we're working, we're taking care of the kids if we have children, where, you know, you're CEO of your house, you're working for, you know, it's just, there's a lot. And so there's not really the space or time 
to really pause and think about ourselves or our self-care or our mental well-being, our mental health. And um, we have a lot on our plate that we're taking care of. And so um, I think that that's part of it. As far as Black women, I mean, that goes back to systemic racism and oppression, um, you know, that we face those systems that cause hurt, harm, and death to our bodies. And when we need access to mental health resources, um, you know, because of those disparities, that access isn't always available to us. So it's not that, oh, Black women won't get help, right? Like they just are just refusing to go get help. It's just, it's just that because of systemic oppression, systemic racism, those avenues aren't as open for us to like go find help. Like I remember working with my sister to find a, even to find a black therapist, like she wanted representation in the therapist that she um, hired. And it was really, really hard. I mean, this was years ago to find that. And so it's just, uh, it's more challenging, but it's because of the disparities, again, it goes back to, um, you know, system, it all stems back to systemic racism. Like it's really difficult um, when you have so many hoops and things that you have to jump over to get help, right? Versus your white counterparts, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. Um, so your, so your, um, your app that you're launching, Exhale, so what, I mean, at the end of the day, if you could pick like the impact that that, that app has, but you know, obviously I, I run a business, you've run companies before, you know that you have much greater impact than just the service of the product that you're offering. It's deeper than that. So number one, like the immediate, like, okay, use of the product, what do you hope that that does and impacts? And then broader, like if you could, you know, put your thumb on the, the this is the world changing thing I want, or this is the yeah life changing thing I want to bring to the world. What, what would though, what would that be? Um, well, I'm super excited that it's even out there. Um, I'm really proud that we were able in the midst of a global pandemic to start a tech company and our first product excels on the like it's out there. So um, I feel very proud about that. We um, are getting amazing feedback from women that are using the app and saying that, um, you know, this is something that I didn't know that I needed, but I needed it and are super grateful. And so I'm feeling like I hear little bits, like people send their little testimonials and, and the impact that it's making in um, women's lives um, to help them in their, their managing their anxiety and stress and trauma, just everyday stressors, but also what, what comes from um, the stress and anxiety and trauma from systemic racism and so it's, it's been a beautiful journey. And that for me, that's my why. Like right now the app is free to download, free to use, and we're going to do a 2.0 and figure out the business side of this whole thing. Um, but right now I've wanted it to be completely accessible to anybody that wanted to download it and use it. And it really, I really wanted to partner with black women to partner with women of color, indigenous women in their well-being journey. And that is happening. Um, we're in 45 countries. Like what? 
since August, we've been able to. Yeah, that, that is amazing. We're in like Ghana. Congratulations. That is Zim- fantastic. Thank you. Like Zimbabwe, we're in Japan and China and Australia. And I'm like, what? It's just phenomenal. Um, Kuwait, all these really cool, amazing. It's just amazing. So I'm really excited about that. And my hope is that we continue to partner with women truly in their, in their well-being. Like I really want, um, you know, part of what I'm doing is stepping into a role of advocacy for black women, for women of color, for indigenous women to say it is imperative for us to manage our stress and anxiety because it is making us physically sick. It is impacting our mental health and we can't keep showing up for our communities because it's usually us that's showing up for our communities. We can't keep showing up and not prioritizing our emotional well-being, our our overall well-being. And so part of what I'm doing is advocating for that, um, looking at those health disparities and saying, how can we close that gap in our communities? And um, really my goal is, and my hope and my desire is that black women, indigenous women, women of color have access to what they need to have overall well-being. Like that's, that's the goal. That's what I want to do. And, you know, I'm a business owner, so hopefully eventually we'll make money doing it too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's never bad ne- never 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 a bad uh, thing to keep the ship afloat but no i mean i think i think the overall goal of saying uh you you want to impact women you want to impact the black community help them you know show up because they've been showing up and i mean it's just mm-hmm. it's amazing and i'm inspired by it so i don't let me forget i do have a connect i do have somebody i need to connect you with after this i yeah. this is my this is my cue to remember that um but so so it's time time to ask my favorite question in the world, and that is what gets you out of bed in the morning. And I'm really excited about your answer because everything. I mean, you've covered such a crazy, amazing, like beautiful life, and the fact that you're out there, you know, trying to elevate your community, just like your mom did for you, is is so cool. And uh, so, anyways, the, the the my closing question, favorite question on the planet is what gets you out of bed in the morning. Um, my why, my why, which is really providing emotional well-being resources for black indigenous people of color because i know you know i've seen it with my mom with my grandmother what oppression did to them like my grandmother had a short life and i think part of that was because of the oppression that she experienced and you know creating this app you're right feels very much full circle like i'm coming back home and, and taking care of the women who showed up for me in a time in my life where I needed someone, right? And it was black women who came to my rescue and, and took me in and, and, and not just like, quote unquote, rescued me, right? Like I could have been in foster care my whole life, but, but they nurtured me and they took care of me and they provided a place of joy for me, a place of centeredness and groundedness. And so it feels like I'm coming home and providing that for black women, right? That provided that for me. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's what the juices that are flowing when I wake up. I'm just like, oh, who do I get to talk to today about XO app? What do I get to do today to amplify black 
women's voices, women of color's voices. Like, what can I do today to to advocate for our well being? That to me is that that's my why. Like, that's that like gets my blood pumping every day. Is what I'm actually doing right now, and and again, it feels very much full circle um, and feels so right. And like I'm in my lane and, and I'm, and I'm running my race. Yeah. That is amazing. Um, so for anybody that wants to number one, connect with the business, connect with you, uh, learn more about you, hear your story, any, any, any of the bit of it, uh, what's, what's the best way for them to reach out to you and, uh, find more about the company? Yeah, you can find me at kataramccarty.com and also follow me on Instagram at Katar McCarty. I'm also on LinkedIn at Katar McCarty. And follow Exhale app on Instagram. Love that. We'll make that happen. Well, Katara, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. This has been amazing. I've loved it, enjoyed it, and I'm just excited to uh, be in your corner and reach you along in this whole thing. So thank you. Thanks for having me, Matt. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su- subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well, too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Map Action Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.